your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap down, the kick is up, and the kick is good! Here's Lane! Huskers win it 13-10. They beat Northwestern and go to 4-2. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Rohr. And we are here and we are live at the Poor House in Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis, filled with Husker fans. You can hear them. Once again, the Husker fans have piled into the Poor House for Football Friday, brought to you by the Nebraska Alumni Association in partnership with the Husker Sports Network, the official Friday event before the Huskers take on Minnesota tomorrow evening, 6.30 kickoff. Our pregame begins with the opening drive at 1.30 here on the Husker Sports Network. And we're here tonight with Sports Nightly and Football Friday with the Nebraska Alumni Association. Here's what we've got on the program for you. We're going to switch it up a little bit and jump right into a guest with Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. He'll check in with us here in just a few minutes. Then we'll also hear from Nebraska's sideline reporter, Ben McLaughlin. The team has landed. They have made it into the Twin Cities okay. So Ben's on his way over. Yes, your team is here. They will play tomorrow. But Ben McLaughlin is on his way, and we'll hear from him about 6.25 here on the program. And then at 7.05, our Big Ten picks brought to you by Choices Treatment Center. And then at 7.40, we'll check in with Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. Big NFL weekend, including a big game here as the Vikings host the Eagles on Sunday, for those of you sticking around here in the Twin Cities. Yeah, we got a few Vikings fans. Maybe some Eagles fans in the house. Nate Gary fans. There you go. And then at 8 o'clock, we'll have our weekend preview. Get you set for the weekend of sports. At 8.25, we'll have a little sample of our Cornhusker conversation. Wandale Robinson. What a performance he put on last weekend against Northwestern. Ben McLaughlin had a chance to sit down with him, and we'll give you a little sample of that conversation that you can hear in full tomorrow on Husker Game Day, and then our weekend review at 8.40. So all that coming up here on Sports Nightly. We're here at the poorhouse from 6 to 8, and we're pleased to be joined by Mitch Sherman of The Athletic, who covers the Huskers on a daily basis, and Mitch, first off, I mean, we could break down the Royals managerial search. We're both big Royals fans, but that's not why the people are here tonight. What was your biggest takeaway from the Northwestern game? Yeah, I'm in favor of talking about the Royals for as, as long <laughs> as we want, but I, we're kind of in enemy territory here in uh, in Minnesota. So, yeah, I mean, the uh, takeaways from Minnesota, <laughs> you know, number one, I, I, I would just say that Nebraska – you know they won a game that that probably would they would not have won in 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 previous weeks and previous seasons. This is another one of those games, Nate, that's kind of right in line with with the Illinois game. Um, you know you can look to the Colorado game and say that was kind of an extension of what we saw in the first half of last season, where Nebraska just struggled to be able to find a way to win those games that were um, you know that were so important for this team to be able to win. And and there was a lot of talk at that point about Nebraska learning. Learning, learning how to win, and um, you want to put this right next to me? Okay, yeah, switch mics. Go. You're talking to both of them at the same time. Okay, there we go. Yes. All right. We're finding ways. We're getting stuff done. 
Great. Now the people in the poorhouse can hear me too. So I was answering Nate's question, and he asked me what my takeaways were from Northwestern. And I thought that Nebraska took another step in, in becoming a team that, that is showing that it knows how to win. And, you know, it wasn't the prettiest performance. Um, Nebraska made it through uh, one quarter without its, its star quarterback, Adrian Martinez. Of course, the, the backup, Noah Vedrill, came in and did a nice job. <laughs> To avoid, uh, to avoid any turnovers, you know, there was one play in the middle of that fourth quarter that, that very easily could have been a disastrous type of turnover that would have turned the game, and Noah was able to go back and collect the football and, and, uh, and throw it away and then make a big play after Lamar Jackson made a big play on defense. And th these, to me, Nate, are, are kind of all signs of Nebraska taking a step toward becoming a program that, that knows how to win. You know, you're not, I, I, you still obviously need to see more things from this team. Team, but the way that they came back at Illinois and then the way that Nebraska won against Northwestern, I think are things that, that this program just would not have done in the last two or three years. Even think of the program's progress over the last 12 games, so the second half of last year and the first half of this season. So they win a low-scoring game against Michigan State last year. Uh, they find a way to win despite four turnovers at Illinois earlier this year, and then that game where they win a low-scoring game where they lose their starting quarterback. How much progress do you think Nebraska's made in terms of just figuring out how to close out games and how to win games? Yeah, I mean, you still see the three of the four losses in that 12-game stretch are Ohio State last year, a close loss on the road. Iowa last year, a close loss on the road. Colorado this year, a close loss on the road. So there's still work to be done, of course, for Nebraska to, to figure out how to win all those games. And even the best programs, even the programs that have you know mastered that skill of knowing how to win, they're not going to win every close game. You know, they're not going to be in as many close games. Ohio State is not a, a program. Alabama is not a program that's going to be in a lot of close games. So that's a that's a something that works to their advantage. Nebraska is still in a spot right now where it, it finds itself in a lot of close games and and while maybe in 2017 even into 2016 certainly for the first half of 2018 this was a team that was finding way to lose games now it's more evened out and 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 more often than not in this season you found you've seen that Nebraska is is finding a way to win those games so a big step chatting with Mitch Sherman of the athletic here on sports nightly uh, we are halfway through the year, so we played six games. What grade would you give the offense through six games? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. Uh, I, you know, it's not as good as the defense. I would give the defense a better grade. Um, you know, we've seen some things from the offense that would lead me to believe that the second half of the season could be a lot better than the first half. Like the first two quarters at Colorado, the, the second half at Illinois, um, even the way that the offense manufactured points at in the in the last minute or two that it had the ball against Northwestern I mean I, I look I mean there's been issues with the offensive line there's been issues with the receivers for sure in finding ways to get opened I think the running backs are still kind of feeling things out I'm a C at this point same question for the defense yeah, I mean, a better grade for sure, like a B plus for the defense. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna discount the Ohio State game. I know that's hard to do. It's one of six games. It counts on Nebraska's record. But this program at this point right now is not at a place to 
go toe-to-toe with Ohio State when the Buckeyes are, are hitting all cylinders as they were on that Saturday night in Lincoln. Um, so I, I don't hold that against the Nebraska defense. They were put in some bad spots with early turnovers because of the offense. And the same thing happened at Illinois, where you saw Illinois score 38 points. That wasn't necessarily because of things that were going wrong with the defense. It was more the offense putting the defense in a bad spot. And, and Eric Chenander and those defensive players and those defensive coaches will tell you that you know it doesn't matter if the opponent gets the ball at the Nebraska five-yard line. It's their job to stop them. But... You know, I, I'm, I'm going to take that into account when I when I grade the defense through the first half of the year and the way that they've played in stretches, the improvement that I've seen up front and in the secondary and, you know, in time at times at, with the linebackers, um, especially the inside linebackers, um, I, I would say that they've earned a strong B, probably a B plus. Last on a Friday night, and now we're pleased to be joined by the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp, to get his breakdown of this one All between right. Nebraska and Minnesota. Welcome, Husker and fans. Go Big Red, right? Go Big Red. Yet again, the poorhouse is full. We've done this about four times. and Love, love this place. For tomorrow and... Well, let's flash back to last weekend. Nebraska able to hang on and defeat Northwestern. Of course, Lane McCallum with a big kick. But how big a step forward in the growth of this program as Nebraska loses Adrian Martinez to injury, loses J.D. Spielman, and still finds a way to beat a good Northwestern team in Lincoln? Nate, there are those those game season that either you turn right or you go left. Last week was one of those crossroads games where... We really needed that to keep this thing moving forward. I think it was a huge win. I think we'll look back in December on that game against Northwestern as one of the turning points of this football season. And it wasn't easy to get it done. I mean, that's that's a Northwestern team that was playing for their season last week. But I think it was a huge momentum boost for this team. They've had a really good week of practice. I think they're really excited about this game tomorrow night. And, and this is another big game. It wouldn't have been if we'd have lost last week, but it is now. And yet, winning that game against Northwestern takes some pressure off this game for Nebraska, doesn't it? In the pursuit of bowl eligibility, yes, this is still a big game in terms of the Big Ten West, but as far as especially getting to a bowl game, which I think is the baseline goal for this season, that Northwestern game kind of took the heat off this one. You sound like Bill Moose. Just get me to six and six. Um, And and you're right. I'm not not trying to say you're wrong, but... Scott and this coaching staff, they still think they can win the West. And, you know, that to do that, you had to win last week. And to do that, you're going to have to win tomorrow night. So they've set themselves up for a really big game tomorrow against the Gophers, who are feeling great. They're 5-0. and But I, I know this team's not satisfied that they just won last week. And they're not going to be just satisfied to get to a bowl game. So it was, it was big in a lot of ways. Yes, you're right. To get to that sixth level and get yourself in a postseason play was big. But I think they won a lot more than that. It was our first look at Noah Vedral in competitive snaps. Of course, Adrian Martinez going down with injury. How did you evaluate what Noah was able to do on a quarter of running the offense against a Northwestern team that's pretty good on that side of the ball? I thought he looked comfortable. I thought he looked like he belonged. I think he, he had an air about him of a guy that wasn't shaky, that is confident in himself, confident that he can run the offense. So I thought he did a really nice job last week. Maybe the most impressive play that he made in my eyes, Nate, was after the bad snap 
getting back, picking that thing up, running to the sideline and throwing it away and avoiding a big loss. That was a huge play. Uh, you know, everybody's going to point to the throw he made to Wandale, and that was awesome. But the fact that he avoided a big loss, that was impressive. And yet, Noah Vedrill's your backup for a reason. He beat him out in preseason camp and, and has a little higher level of talent. How does this Husker offense change if Vedrill's the one that's running? That's a good question. I, you know, um, I think Noah's a little bit more decisive maybe in the run game than Adrian. He may be more likely to tuck it and go. And boy, if you listen to our fans at home, they've been yelling at Adrian, go, run, take off and run. Noah will do that. Uh, so I think he may be has a strength in that phase. Accuracy in the passing game still needs to be better for Noah than it's been. I think he was two for five last week against the Wildcats. But I like the way that when he gets it and he knows he's running, he goes. He ducks his head and gets upfield. Uh, what, looking at this uh, Minnesota team offensively, so many playmakers. Rodney Smith at running back. Muhammad Ibrahim's been good for them, though he's been hurt lately. Uh, the wide receivers, Bateman, Johnson. How do you defend this Minnesota team? How, where do you stop them first? Well, I think if the weather forecast is right, you're going to have to stop the run. That's what Minnesota, I think, is going to try to do is run over Nebraska. I had a great question today. I was on one of our affiliates earlier today, and they said, what do you fear most, their backs or their wideouts? To me, their wide receivers can really change a game. So that makes me nervous. But you better be able to keep Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks from picking up five, six, seven yards a crack, or they're just going to march it down the field on you. And I think with the way the weather sounds like it's going to be, they're going to try to get their running game established. And so I know Eric Chenander's working on that, and that's his mindset too. we got to stop the run and make Morgan make some throws. And if the weather's lousy, it's going to be a little harder to do tomorrow night. And Morgan's been a little up and down too, but he came into that game with Nebraska last year, the second half of the game after Anikstead uh, was hurt and ran that offense pretty well. What stands out to you about the Minnesota quarterback? 9-2 is their starter. How about that for Morgan? He was 21 of 22 against Purdue two weeks ago. Yeah. 21 of 22. That's amazing. His numbers weren't quite as good against Illinois because they ran up and down the field, had over 300 yards rushing against the Illini. I like him. I'm not sure it's because he's bald like me, but no. I like him because he, he can't grow any hair. But I think he's a good quarterback. And when we saw him play last year in Minneapolis, I, I walked away going, man, Minnesota, that's your guy. Why were you even messing around with Anikstead? It to me looked like Morgan's the right guy. On defense from Minnesota, Carter Coughlin stands out on that defensive yeah. line. A couple of good linebackers. Thomas Barber is... They'll hit you. He, he, hard hitter. What stands out to you about the Gophs defense? Yeah, they're physical. They'll hit you. Uh, I love their safety, Winfield. I think he's one of the better players in the Big Ten Conference. They're fairly sound with what they do. Um, and, yeah, they, they want to become a physical team, and you better be in this conference. So that's what I notice. I don't know that they're quite as good as Northwestern defensively, but Coughlin's certainly a really good player. He hasn't had a huge year yet, and that may be because everybody's kind of sliding their protections to cut him off a little bit. He's got 19 career sacks. He's a good player. Nebraska will need to identify where he is. And, guys, he'll line up on the right or line up on the left. They move him around on that defensive front. One of the challenges Minnesota presents to you, and this is a gopher team that has found ways to win. We, it, it's been one of the talking points of this week. 5-0, and oh, four win by one possession. Luck, is it knowing how to win? Where are you on that spectrum with what Minnesota's been able to do in the first half a little of this bit, year? A little bit of both. 
and they've been lucky. There's no doubt. I mean, you convert. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. They had fourth and eight in the Fresno State game. Morgan throws it to the back of the end zone. They make a catch. I mean, there's some skill there. I'm, I don't want to take that completely away from them, but they're also lucky. I mean, one fingertip on a defensive back by Fresno flicking that thing away, and they don't win the game. Guy makes a tackle at the on a 27-yard gain instead of a 31-yard gain, they, they may not win Georgia Southern. So a little bit of both. It worries me a little bit that they're gaining confidence because they're 9-2 and two since we played them last year. That's a, that's a pretty good run they're in right now. Confidence for Minnesota, especially the way they were able to finish last year with a win over Wisconsin. And this is their first real chance to test where they are in the league. They're, they'll be in that same neighborhood again. So it's a big opportunity for us as, as they get ready for this game to try and move to six. And they're looking at this game tomorrow night. And, by, and let's make about it. Nebraska's the best team they played mm -hmm. this year. After this game tomorrow, they get Maryland. They're sitting there going, God, we get the Huskers. We're going to be 8-0. So they're looking at knowing Nebraska, the game that can really catapult them on down the road in 2019. But again, we're the best team they've played in 2019. Huskers will present a big-time challenge, no doubt about it. We'll have a big-time Big Ten West battle here in Minneapolis. Now, gentlemen, it is time for the Choices Treatment Center Big Ten Picks, helping people make positive choices. Let's uh, first off see how many positive choices we made. Brett, back in the studio, how do the standings look? We've got uh, Ben has 44. He's leading the pack 44 out of 50, correct. Nate, you are at 43 out of 50. Uh, Greg, you are 42 out of 50. Hotly contested race, very. Ooh. Yeah, and, hey, you got time. And results from last week, everyone got 100% right. So picking shock wow. was the right thing to do. That's first time ever. First time in history. It no is. Kidding. We, 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 we've found our stride. As you guys the, are copying me. There's only one direction we can go from there. And, and we'll probably do it this week, too. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's get to the uh, weekend schedule. Start with the noon kickoff at Memorial Stadium in Champaign. The Michigan Wolverines against the Illinois Fighting Illini. And Michigan, a 23-point favorite. Ben McLaughlin, lead us off. How do you see this one cracking out? I'm going to start out going on a whim and picking Michigan. Gutsy. I, I don't, we don't know the status of Brandon Peters. He was knocked out of the game last week. Uh, guys, Minnesota and isn't quite ready to, you know, burn like they thought maybe against Wisconsin but I don't think they're definitely they're not definitely not in that conversation of, of back to winning to the east but they'll win they'll win tomorrow 23 is too many points I think that's fair but they still beat Illinois I with that 23 feels again really has they a can't score yeah they that offense cannot get going right cannot get rolling you got it I mentioned this you wonder if there's a power struggle going on oh, right yeah. now between the no head coach and the offensive nader. That'll be corrosive. And it, it wouldn't be shocking if there's a, a change in e at Michigan to say nothing of head coach if the season keeps going down down the road they're going. I'll go 28 reads. Feels right. Feels right. Uh, I, Michigan wins comfortably. 23 of the smart folks in Vegas expect them to win by. Another 11 a.m. kick at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, hosting Rutgers. And there is no line on this game. The limit does what? not exist. No, come on. There's got to be a line, right? At, at least 28. On, okay, he's got 28. 28. All right. 
Indiana covers. I'll go Indiana 42 to 7. There you go. Rutgers is just a terrible They're football awful. team. Just terrible. And what what will that be for Indiana? Is that win number will that be win number four? So that would if Indiana wins, assuming IU wins, that gets them the four and two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I I won't pick Rutgers to win another game. So just just mark in the rest of my, those games for me. Uh, opponent doesn't matter. How about their guys going to redshirt now? Yeah. Sikowski's going to redshirt. The running back's going to redshirt. Just blow the year and come back next year. Uh, this is starting to be a thing in college football. Right. It's the unintended consequence of the four-game redshirt rule. It's the guy at Houston. Derek King. Yeah. Two yeah. guys do it at Houston. Yeah. Houston's doing it, too. Yeah. Teams, the idea of tanking in college football has entered the equation. That's not ideal. Uh, speaking of not ideal, Rutgers, not ideal. Not not anything ideal about them. You're taking them? I, no. Chris, <laughs> take, uh, take Chris, an IU. Chris Ash forgot that you don't get the number one draft pick for tanking in college. How about Chris Ash this week? Do you read the story about him? Oh, he, he was he's in Austin. UT helping he's out. down helping Tom Herman get ready for Oklahoma. Good. Poison them up for their matchup with OU tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Boomer sooner in that one. Uh, one more 11 a.m. kick. Maryland is at Purdue. Interesting game. Maryland has. You, you got to pick one of these first, big boy here. Okay. I. And I'm going to take the Terps. I I have not liked Merrill or I have not liked Purdue at all. Elijah Sindelar hurt. Rondale Moore is banged up. I don't know what his status will be for this game. And that defense is shoddy at best. Yeah, I'm going to take Maryland in this one. Maryland probably has a little false confidence after beating up on Rutgers, almost as bad as we have on this segment. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a close game. Field goal either way. Um, I have I have little to no trust in Purdue at all right now, but I don't have a lot of trust in uh, in Maryland either. And and with their issues, they're you know they're having issues with their quarterback too. Pigram's going to start tomorrow for Maryland. I'll say Purdue wins. I'll go on the other side. Could Rondale Moore take a red shirt year? I mean, if he's out a couple of more weeks, could he? Yeah, he might think about that. Certainly on the table. Oh sure. Because I think he got hurt in week four for them. Didn't play last week, so that would be week four. If he's out two or three more games, maybe they go to him and say, man, this year's kind of lost. Let's just put you on the shelf. Yeah. I'd like it if they found a way to play him in more than four games. Yeah, he needs no, to get I, out of I West agree. Lafayette I soon. Don't, I don't want him playing November the 2nd. Uh-huh. Me all right with me if he's out for that game. Uh, Pickram's going to start tomorrow for Maryland at quarterback. Josh Jackson's out with an injury. That changes them a little bit. Maryland's awful uh, defensively, too. Yeah, like I, are, I, I'm going to go Purdue. I think Purdue okay. holds holds serve at home and gets a win tomorrow. Okay. On to the lone 230 game, and this is a really good game between Michigan State and Wisconsin at Camp Randall. A little surprised by the number. Eighth-ranked Wisconsin, a 10-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Mr. Yeah, McLaughlin. Number seems high. Uh, on the surface, but Michigan State is, is having a hard time moving the football on anybody. Um, I like Wisconsin. I like the way they're playing right now. I think defensively they're a lot better than maybe we thought they were. And the the whole idea of, you know, the, the conversation in media days was we're, we're going to try and balance our offense out and not put so much on Jonathan Taylor. They haven't done that. And Jonathan Taylor's still enough to beat teams, so I'm going to say Wisconsin wins. I think I think ten and a half is too much. I'll say they win by 
You know, seven to ten. I don't think they cover. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Man, what a tough schedule for the for the Spartans at the shoe, and then at Camp Randall back to back weeks. That's really hard. That's tough to do back to back. Really tough road games. I don't think they're going to have a lot in the emotional tank. Badgers win, but I'm with you. I think they're going to have a little trouble scoring. Cone's going to have to make some throws for them tomorrow, and he still hasn't proven that to me. Badgers win, but it's close. Depends who you ask. Jack Cone's graded out to an A to some people. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, not for me. That said, Wisconsin wins, but I'm with you. Close game and bad to worse for Michigan State because they do have a bye after this week, but then they take on Penn State, so the tough October continues for for Sparty. One more game on the docket, and this is the game of the week in the Big Ten. Penn State at Iowa, the game at Kinnick Stadium, night kickoff. They'll start at the exact same time. Nebraska and Minnesota start. Penn State, a three-point favorite at Kinnick. Penn State hasn't played anybody very good yet, um, and I know they've looked good. Playing at Kinnick at night, it's going to be a blackout night at Kinnick Stadium. I think the Hawkeyes bounce back and win by a field goal tomorrow. Hmm. I, I don't have a lot of faith. I don't have a lot of confidence in Iowa right now. Penn State's defense is playing at the level that I thought they would. I thought they were going to be one of the better defenses in the conference. They have been. I've been pleasantly surprised by what they've been able to do offensively. Yes, against a weak schedule, but they've looked really good against a pretty weak schedule. I think they're going to be able to move the ball against Iowa because I think Iowa's a little above average defense. I don't think they're great. I think Penn State wins this one. It's close. It's a one-score game, but I think Penn State gets it. Yeah, I'm picking Penn State, too. To me, Sean Clifford's been one of the more unsung heroes of the season so far in the Big Ten. He's he's played really, really well for Penn State this year. Um, K.J. Hamler's a stud on the outside, tremendous weapon to throw to. I think the teams balance themselves out a little bit on the defense. I don't think neither defense has a significant edge. If I'm picking one over the other, I'm picking Penn State, but I think they're pretty close. And I trust Penn State's offense a heck of a lot more than I trust Iowa's, so I'm, I'm picking Penn State. And I think we're all rooting for Penn State. Oh, no, tomorrow, yeah, absolutely. Right? No, no doubt. And Penn well, State's I, had Nobody a up here is rooting for Iowa. No. I mean, Penn State's like won 10 of their last 11 games against the West, but... I, I just I sense a Nate Stanley bounce back tomorrow night. We'll see. Should be a fun night at Kinnick. We'll have one eye on that one as our game unfolds up here in the Twin Cities. Ben McLaughlin, we have Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. Ian, we talk to each and every Friday night. And, Ian, let's start with last night's game with the Patriots and the Giants. And, boy, Tom Brady sure didn't look pretty, but still got the job done and proved just how good he could be even with all the injuries. You know, what was interesting about watching that game, you watch it play by play, and I know for a fact that Tom Brady didn't play great, right? Like, he was kind of all over the place. Accuracy was a little bit of a mess. The wind was crazy, so I don't want to, like, you know, understate that. But I know for a fact that Brady kind of struggled and didn't play well. And then I look at the stats, and I see 31 of 41, 334 yards, completed, I think, 10 or 11 passes in a row at one point. He's just, it's amazing that the quote-unquote offense didn't play well is real, and they still won by, like, several touchdowns. And that just shows you how good this team is. And, by the way, um, the defense is probably the best in the NFL, 
nobody was open. The whole game, nobody was open. I can never remember seeing anything like that. It was nuts. Yeah, well, I mean, Stephon Gilmore is as good as there as there is in the National Football League at corner. I don't know that he gets the, the praise. What what about the other side with with New York? I know they they were banged up. Golden Tate had had his first action last night, but how would you evaluate kind of where there is and where their season is, considering no Saquon, no Shepard, and no Ingram? I really thought they held up really well. I mean, nobody cares about moral victories, so no, you know, they don't get any roses for being a touchdown down with. With the ball with seven minutes to go, I think that's what it was. Like, they don't get any prizes for that. Um, but, man, I thought they well. Like, I have no earthly idea what's going to happen to this Giants team. But at two and four, they got to be the best two and four team. And now they get, you know, they're going to get Saquon back. They're, uh, you know, you'd hope get Sterling Shepard back in two weeks, but it's a concussion, so you don't know. You'd probably get Wayne Gallman back. Definitely get uh, uh, Evan Ingram back. You know, you're going to get – you get some guys back who are going to fill out your offense and maybe get open, and all of a sudden those really, really, really tight windows that Daniel Jones was throwing into get a little bit wider. This could be a team that can make a little bit of a run in the second half or at least come out in the average, which I think is, um, which I think is you know, a good outcome for a rookie quarterback. Yeah. Let's stay in that division for a second. Didn't anticipate a, talking about a coaching change already, but Jay Gruden let go in Washington. I don't think it came as too big of a surprise. What's the direction of this franchise now? Yeah, I don't think it came as a surprise at all that Gruden was fired. I guess maybe the only sort of thing was that it happened so quickly. But, I mean, you know, that's a team that I think probably hoped to make the playoffs. You come out, you're 0-5. Uh, you know, at some point, the are you going to fire your coach takes over your season. You get asked the same questions every week. At some point, you have to do something. So, like, you know, I'm not totally stunned that they made the move. Um, and now, you know, there's a couple of things. One, you basically take the pressure off. Like, they're not going to win. There's a interim coach, so sort of substitute teacher. It doesn't really matter. Um the players feel a bit better about what they're doing. Uh, I think the coaching staff is probably a little more engaged maybe than they were. Um, just knowing that, you know, some of these guys are kind of fighting for their jobs a little bit. Um, and, you know, they get to, to take a start on their coaching search without being awkward and without going behind anyone's back. It's probably a good outcome. I think Jay Gruden would probably like to be on the sidelines um, this week. But I also know he – I think he was – Let's just say I think he was probably ready for it to be done as well. Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty well put. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network is our guest. Ian, Houston Texans are, are looking looking pretty much unstoppable offensively right now. But something I was eager to to get your thoughts on was you know the kind of the viral clip of of Deshaun Watson bre- breaking down the coverage. Uh-huh. I mean, you're you're around these things, you're around press conferences. What was your reaction when you when you saw that? You know, it's interesting because the first time it happened. I think Watson was – I think you know, if you watch his face, and I've talked to people about it too, he was frustrated at the question because he'd been asked a couple times that same or similar question. And he looks at the PR person who's in the room as if to say, like, you know, what the heck? Why are they not getting it? I've answered this already. Instead of, like, lashing out, he was like, all right, I'm just going to have to explain it. And so he just explained it. And everyone was like, oh, like, that's great. And then he did it the next week, 
And I think now this is a thing. And what's interesting about Watson is he's extremely smart. You know, now he's a he's a great athlete and he's got incredible talent. And so sometimes it all gets lost. But he is really, really smart. So it's good to have him kind of be up there and be Professor Watson and kind of just take us through football. I wonder if this is going to be a thing that he just does on a weekly basis where he, like, explains something. I mean, I, I, I could not love it more and I kind of wish that more athletes would do this. Yeah, I mean, even Kevin Durant was sounding off on it on, on Twitter last week. I, it was very interesting and, and very enlightening at the same time. Let's go to their opponent, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody listens to this show know I'm a big fan of the Chiefs. you got to talk me off the ledge, man. I mean, they were thoroughly dominated up front on both sides of the ball against the Colts. First of all, let's just start with the Colts. I mean, how impressive is that offensive line compared to what you've seen in the past? It's so fun. It's just, I love it so much. You know, it's, they work in concert. They feed off each other. They can feel where each other's going. I mean, that is what it is supposed to look like. And I thought they were good last year. They were, you know, I thought they were good last year. Now they are even better. And they, you know, watching them pass off blitzers to each other. I mean, it's just, I'm sure you're really wondering, is, is this Chiefs offense going to be okay, right? I mean, I assume that's what you're really wondering. Because, the Colts played a man-to-man. Um, they they covered like crazy. They hadn't really faced that kind of tight man-to-man coverage, and they didn't look right. So what I would say was Andy Reid is probably, you know, certainly a top-five coach in the NFL, certainly a top or two offensive guru. It is really important that they saw this out. Like, getting exposed to this right now is something – that is going to help them immensely down the stretch to come playoff time because they are forced to figure out a way around it. When you look at the makeup of the – Patrick Mahomes is a star and maybe the face of the NFL right now, but when you look at the rest of the rosters that sits right now, Daryl Williams, Damian Williams, Byron Pringle, I mean, can, can these guys do it? Can, can Mahomes do it with these guys? I think so. And, you know, when Tyreek Hill comes back, it's going to help a lot. Um, obviously, you know, that's that's going to be a big lift. You know, and the other thing about the – I mean, the, the the Chiefs do such an incredible job of getting guys in space and getting them open. Uh, I remember last year, you know, Kareem Hunt goes out and everyone's like, what are they going to do running the ball? And Damian Williams became a good running back because they just get him in such good position. It's kind of like what the 49ers are doing where they literally just take everyone and they're like, we are going to get you open. So I trust what the Chiefs are doing. I think they're going to be fine, and I think it really helps now to face some challenges early in the season because it helps you learn for later in the season. Ian, are you surprised at the level of play in the NFC West? People wanted to write this division off for the last few years, but Russell Wilson looks as good as ever. The Niners are undefeated. The Rams are probably the best 3-2 and two team in football. I mean, are you surprised at how good this division is? I'm only surprised that – the Niners' defense is this good. Like, Seahawks, I thought they'd be good. I mean, Russell Wilson is just, you know, comically good. He's just so awesome. I can't even tell you. Like, it just – it's fun to watch. They run the ball so well. He still throws the best deep ball in football. Like, they're great. Um, Rams, I expected a little bit of a step back after Super Bowl, but they still look good. You know, are they going to make the playoffs? I don't know, but they still look like a good team. The only thing I to- sort of didn't really see coming 100% was this 49ers defense being an unbelievably dominant ball-hawking unit. They're nasty up front. They actually picked the ball off this year. 
you know, they run the ball so well. They are really just an old school run the ball, control the clock, don't make mistakes, play defense kind of team. You know, Jimmy G's making a lot of money. My guess is we're all finding out that he's probably just like a pretty good quarterback. Fine, just good, manage the game. Um, but their defense is dominant, and that is more than enough. Yeah, we'll let you go with this one. A couple of big-name players questionable this week. We just mentioned the Rams, Todd Gurley, uh, Devontae Adams dealing with the toe, Brandon Cooks. Any update on some of these guys? I think Cooks is going to be okay. I think Devontae Adams, you know, we'll see what his practice schedule is like throughout the rest of the week. They got the Monday nighter. Uh, it doesn't sound like, um, you know, really, it sounds like his status is really up in the air. doesn't look great. Um, we'll see, you know, what his availability is like as you get through the final active and actives. But um, at the very least, they are planning for some of the other guys to step in and play, which, you know, if it's just a rest week for him, it's probably not a terrible thing either. Yeah. We'll have our eyes and ears on that. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, we appreciate you joining us as always, man. Enjoy some great games this week. We look forward to talking to you next Friday. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Look forward to it. Thank you, man. This week we sit down with dynamic freshman from the state of Kentucky, Wandale Robinson. Welcome back to another edition of our Cornhusker Conversation. Till we welcome in Husker freshman Wandale Robinson. You're about halfway through your your first college season. It's kind of going going quick. What what have you made of this this college thing so far? Um, I mean, it's just been a blast the whole time. I, I couldn't expect it to be more. Um, everything's been great so far, so I've loved it every bit. You jumped right in. Your really big role was starting in the Illinois game in the Big Ten play, and you've had a few Big Ten games. What's it like playing in the in the Big Ten conference compared to what maybe you thought? Um, I mean, it's definitely a little different. I mean, obviously, guys were like, I mean, hey, guys are going to come harder, guys are faster, and things like that. So just getting acclimated to it, um, it wasn't that hard, but um, still going every week, just having to get better. You knew you were going to come in and have a role right away, but th- there's always a, a reality check for the freshmen when they get to college. Maybe in a game or in a practice, you're like, whoa, these are these are different breed of athletes. For you, when, when was it kind of the reality check that this isn't the same as, as high school? Um, during spring ball. So, I mean, obviously, once we got pads on and then we really bullets started flying and I was like, all right, stuff's different. But um, it took me about a week or two and then I was really acclimated to the game. And so um, the speed of the game started to slow down and it's already starting to slow down even more. Was there a moment for you where you're like, okay, I can do this? Maybe you busted off a big run or made a nice catch where you, it just—it felt like some stuff you've been doing your entire career. Um, anytime I get the ball in my hands, I feel like I can do any of those things. Um, that's really—that's kind of always been my motto. That's kind of what I've lived by. Anytime I play football, um, so really, just anytime I have the ball in my hands, just trying to make a play. Tell us about your first days playing football. I mean, you're, you're not the biggest of dudes, and I have to imagine that was something your whole life. But when you first got started in it, what was it about football that, that you really liked? Um, I just loved everything about it. It was kind of one of those things that just hit off, and I was good at from the moment I started. And my dad put a ball in my hands, and it was over after that, and I've loved it ever since. You obviously stuck with it, but then there comes a moment typically when you have your level of skill that you start taking it seriously and you know you know you could you could probably make a livelihood out of it when was that moment for you that you know you are really good at it and it's something that you want to focus on and take seriously um around my sophomore year that was when because I was still playing baseball as well so I was debating on if I was going to go to play college baseball or college football and I just came to the point I was like I'm just going to go play college football and um, stopped playing baseball just started training all year round for football and at that point in time that's whenever I realized it 
You came here looking pretty good physically, and I know your dad has a huge impact on your life. What, what was the, the training like in high school? You seem to be, you know, some guys get to college and they're figuring out how to lift weights for the first time. Um, I mean, I've been lifting weights since probably my freshman year now. Um, so my dad's always been training me, just doing everything that I've – some of the same stuff I've done here. Um, not as hard, but it's still pretty hard. Your, your relationship with your dad is, is very public, and he's he's obviously active on social media, and it's really cool to see a, a parent perspective. What What's his relationship like with you, maybe not in a dad role, but just as a supporter role, you know, watching you do this and going through your recruitment and playing high school ball, you know, like seeing him – watch you live out your dreams um and he just wants the best for me he's always just giving me advice about anything that i can do better anything if i've done something wrong he's just always trying to help me out with whatever um he's never tried to be too much of a sports dad or anything like that and contact coaches or anything like that so he's always just been there for me making the the decision to come to college is always a hard one for any athlete especially when you know everybody wants you when you first started going through your recruiting process maybe got your first letter and and, you know school started showing interest what was kind of your reaction of of how you're going to approach this thing um I was like I don't know what to do (laughs) um really that was that was really what I did and then as time went on and got to meet a lot of people that have went through the process and they just started giving me advice about how I should go about it and um how I should just take the process you did, and you had to take some official visits. To you, the, the more you kind of invested your time in it, what was important to you in a college, in a coach, in a relationship, you know, whatever it was that, you know, you, you could able to start whittle it down to things that were really, truly important? Um, just the place that felt like family to me, um, where I knew the coaching staff was really going to value me, and they, I wasn't just going to be treated like an, another athlete or anything like that. Um, the people around the city that Lincoln is are, this is the best place that I've visited with the people and how much they care about each other and love each other. What was your first contact like with Nebraska? I mean, you talk to athletes all over the country. You're from Kentucky, which is southeast, but, you know, you get guys from Florida and California and Texas like Nebraska, you know. What was your first contact with with our school and and now your school of of what they wanted out of you and, and your reaction to that? Um, well, really, the, I had actually started talking to these coaches whenever they were at UCS, so I had already kind of talked to them. Um, and then whenever they got here, um, so obviously started talking to them. And then I came out here. Before I got here, I thought Nebraska was nothing but cornfields and there was nothing here. And then I got here, and it was uh, totally opposite. I mean, there's obviously large buildings and everything like that. So um, this place is just different than everywhere else. The, the coach's relationship with you, I mean, obviously at UCF too, that, you know, they, they, your character kind of fits exactly what they want to do. When, when they're, they're having conversations with you, what was it about your skill set that they really liked and that, you know, it was kind of a mutual attraction? Um, just being versatile, being able to play running back, being able to play receiver in the slot outside in the backfield and just do a lot of different things. And that's what I wanted to do coming into college. I wanted to be able to be used all over the place and not just be stuck in one spot and do one certain thing. It's Nebraska freshman Wandale Robinson, wide receiver slash running back. He'll need to have a big game tomorrow with the status of J.D. Spielman in question tomorrow. Oh, we'll end it on that note. Great stuff tonight here. Thanks again to Mike Elliott for getting us all set up at the Poor House and to the Alumni Association for inviting us to be along. Pre-game coverage tomorrow begins at 1.30 with the opening drive. Thanks to Ben and to Josh and to all of you. We'll talk again next week.